October to focus on mental health and mental illness awareness, respectively. May, mental health awareness, and then typically the first week of October, mental illness awareness. And I'm thankful that our family ministries team and our outreach vision team have collaborated with our staff to focus on mental health awareness this month. We are offering a, a special series of seminars on Wednesday evenings for adults, and our youth are also studying this in their dive-in Bible study on Wednesday nights. You can see all the information in your bulletin. The top left-hand quadrant there has the rest of our schedule. Last Wednesday was session one, and then we'll have session two this Wednesday evening. There's also an insert in your bulletin that provides some mental health resources for us, both on a local level as well as nationally. Mental health awareness has not always been part of the church vernacular. A recent article in the Alban Institute newsletter put out from Duke University acknowledges this, and bear with me as I read the first paragraph of that letter. I believe it's, it's very worth hearing. We are much better at accepting broken bones than we are mental illness. We rarely think twice about someone's fractured leg or cast on the arm. We often don't know how to engage with someone who's struggling with depression or bipolar disorder or others. And Alban letter says, despite the present shifts toward inclusivity, there is still a stigma attached to mental health issues. And then the writer of this blog article goes on to say that pastors and congregational leaders can a, play a big part in removing that stigma to uh, talk about mental illness and to let parishioners know that it's okay not to be okay. We can learn to be sensitive to others' needs in this area of our health, and we can learn uh, better just to sometimes listen than try to stumble through saying something when we may be offensive in some way. We may wish that all who belong to our congregations were psychologically balanced and emo highly emotionally intelligent, but let's not forget that Jesus said he did not come for those who are well, but that rather for those who need a physician, Luke 5.31. Our congregation, Huguenot Road Baptist Church, comprise people from all walks of life, and some of us have wounds that others cannot see, wounds that lie below the surface. So ministry at its best ministers to the whole person, body, mind, and soul. And I'm grateful that here at Huguenot Road Baptist Church, we have leaders who are supportive in talking about this part of our health. Every church has people who struggle with mental health at some level. Every church has friends, every church member has friends and perhaps family who struggle in this way as well. And when we are willing to talk about it, to put it out on the table, we will discover new opportunities for healing and hope where
needed because it is so much needed. If it was needed before COVID-19, it certainly is needed after COVID. Here are a few facts about mental illness in America. These are from 2021, but very relevant. One in five U.S. adults experience mental illness each year. One in 20 U.S. adults experiences a serious mental illness each year. One in six youth, age 6 to 17, experience a mental health disorder each year. That's one out of every six youth. 47.2% of adults in our country received treatment for their mental illness in 2021. That means over half did not. 65.4% of U.S. adults with serious mental illness received treatment that year. And 164 million people live in a designated mental health professional shortage area. That means 164 people, what, that's almost half the population of the United States. I'm not a census uh, professional, but that's a lot of our country live in an area where there's a shortage of care for mental illness. We are very blessed to have some wonderful resources in Chesterfield County and in metropolitan Richmond. But many do not have those resources at their disposal. Our culture doesn't help either, does it? Our culture sends mixed messages that only adds to the challenges that we face. The subtle promise that many advertisements make is that we are insufficient, not good enough, don't have enough. The goal is often to feel us to make us feel like we're not worthy of love and respect and happiness until we have what they think we need. Social media only exacerbates this, and that, if not held in check, leads to further isolation and feelings of loneliness and poor self-love. I've said this numerous times, but it deserves repeating that we have never had more resources of technology at our disposal to connect with each other. We've never had more of that stuff than today, and we've never been more isolated. We can be in the same room on our devices and still be isolated. It's all of this confusing stuff that makes the message of Jesus even so much more important today. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and that they have it more abundantly or to the full. God desires that we thrive on this earth, that we are in community with one another, that we are loved and known, seen, heard, and often that doesn't happen like it should. Jesus didn't just make a promise. He put his life where his promise was and is. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, and I lay my life down in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. In this passage in John's gospel, Jesus is revealing who he is. He said, I am the good shepherd. And when he said that, he said, I, he un, helps us understand he's making the invisible God visible and the unapproachable God visible. 
unapproachable. Jesus came to reveal that God loves the whole world, no exceptions. We are already beloved. We are already enough. We don't need more stuff or higher status to be deserving of God's unconditional love for us. God, uh, Jesus, God in the flesh, loves us like a shepherd loves his sheep. When Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, the Pharisees and others who heard him say that would have known immediately that he was pointing back to the Exodus story where Moses had an encounter with God through the burning bush on the mountain. And when God gave instructions to Moses, Moses said, uh, when people ask me, what am I supposed to tell them your name is? And then God say, just tell them, I am who I am. I am. And when Jesus said this, I am the good shepherd, one of his seven I am statements in John's gospel, he was connecting directly to the God who said, I am who I am. People would know. And people in his culture would have known very well the functioning of a shepherd. And he said, not only was he a shepherd, but he was a good one. What's that mean? Have you thought about it? When Jesus said, I am a good shepherd, he's the kind of shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, just as a Palestinian shepherd would have done in the first century, to lay down his life across the open gate of a pen to keep predators from coming in. Jesus also said he cares for the sheep. The Greek word is medle. He cares deeply for each of the sheep. And then verse 14 says the sheep know him by name. He knows them, they know him. And often if you were in a a shepherding environment, even today, sheep will follow the unique call of their shepherd. They won't follow another because they know their shepherd's voice. So in our world today, we don't see as many shepherds as we do managers, as we do coaches, teachers, and so forth, lawyers, nurses, mechanics, and so forth. The image of Jesus as shepherd is still relevant to us. People need a shepherd. And the good shepherd reveals a lasting vision for the church, how we are to be seen and heard and beloved. Question for us, of course. How can the church, including our church, be more sensitive when it comes to our mental health needs? How can we be more sensitive? So I have a few places where you can jot some notes down if this will be helpful to you. The the first is that we can be a place where people belong and are known, where people belong and are, are known. This is especially important as we face what some call an epidemic of loneliness. This is, I read recently an article that this is not only true in our senior adult population, but it is also becoming more and more real in the lives of our youth. Our senior adult population and our youth have never felt more lonely and isolated. And this can lead to bouts of depression and other things that can be prolonged and and cause us to struggle. The good news is that the church can be an agent of change. We can be a part of creating a beloved community in our area. 
Jesus gives us a clear vision of what this means when he says that we are his, the sheep of his pasture. He is our good shepherd, that he knows our voice. This means that we belong to him and we are known by him. Do you remember the resurrection of morning when Mary and the others went to the tomb and when it was found empty, Mary Magdalene was so upset and concerned and she was walking away and then she met Jesus there in the garden. She didn't know it was him. She stood there. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? And Mary thought he was the gardener, and she said, well, if you know where they have put him, please tell me, and I will go find him. I'll look for him. I'll find him. And then Jesus said, Mary. She knew her name, and she recognized his voice. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus began to speak with her and instruct her what she was to do to share the good news with the other disciples. It wasn't until she had heard him say her name that she recognized him, that he knew her personally, and it made all the difference. Oh, how important it is for here, as you heard Miss Sierra say earlier, that we are known and heard, that we are seen, that we know one another's names. Imagine what this might do at the lunch table when somebody calls out to that student and says, come over and, and sit with us, don't sit by yourself. Imagine what it would be like in the residential community when there's a, a member sitting over there every day at the breakfast table sipping their coffee, reading the paper, and some others invited them to their table. The church can be, be, can be that too. People feel that they belong and are known. Number two, that we can provide a single guiding voice, the voice of the shepherd. We hear the voice in our worship as we pray and sing and hear the word of God and as we share fellowship with one another. This guiding voice can come through a wise Christian that God puts in your life. This guiding voice of the shepherd can come through scripture. Oh, how I love the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He guideth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Our guiding voice. We can assure each one value. You heard read earlier from Genesis, Jacob read, that we are created in the image of God. When one, as Jesus did, lays one's down life for another, they're communicating worth and value. Jesus paid with life. All through him are yours. Paul helps us to see this when he speaks of the body of Christ 
in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, Even so, the body is not made up of one part but many. As it is, there are many parts but one body. He says, There should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. Verse 26 of chapter 12, If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part is honored with it. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. When one member suffers, every member suffers with that. When the college student is hurt, the senior adult feels the pain. Nowhere else offers such a place of genuine, multi-generational community than the local church. And that's something I'm so happy we have here at Huguenot Hall. When you come in these walls, you see people of all walks of life. We don't see a homogeneous congregation where everybody looks the same. I'm thankful for that. That's a gift to us here at Huguenot Hall. Number four, we can be a place of grace in community. Grace is God's unconditional love and unmerited favor for us. We do nothing to earn it or receive it. Grace is when we receive what we do not deserve. John says this in his letter, chapter, 1 John chapter 3, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that's what we are. Grace, community. Community means fellowship. It means that we share things in common. So what's this look like here at Huguenot Hall Baptist Church in 2019? What's this look like? We can be a healing place for those who struggle with mental health. We can be an oasis for our community as our vision board has been trying to say. We can put an end to the stigma and silence and ensure people they are seen and heard. They are not a number. They are a name. When somebody shares that they're struggling with depression or anxiety or something else that's related to mental health, that they are not shunned or looked at in a strange way, but they are welcome, and we say, we can't forget, we are with you. You might not understand what we're going through. Last week, Dr. Doug Thorpe, the executive director of the Virginia Institute of Pastoral Care, was our guest speaker at our first session. And he said, here, here are four things a church can do. Number one, be a companion. I don't know if I have this in your notes. You can jot it down. Be a companion. Number two, normalize the struggle. It's okay to be not okay. So be a companion or a friend. Normalize the struggle. Build a culture of support, which we're seeking to do, and promote mental health. Talk about a community. (laughs) Sitting there. Watching the presentation, slide presentation, he's talking. If some of y'all were in there, you know what I'm going to say. And then he, he said that we can provide life. And he had an acronym, L-I-F-E, life. Loving relationships, intentional caring, faith formation, empowered for ministry. And I thought, that's amazing. Choir, that's amazing. That's good stuff. I said to Doug, can you put that, can, uh, can you explain that acronym one more time? 
And then Doug says, sure, I got it from your website. I wanted to sink down, slide down in my chair so fast. My wife, I'm, I, she did not elbow me, but I can feel her elbowing me. How do you sit a chick? The website. And you know that's been on there for like six years. You got to go over to ministry, and then you click adult ministries, and it describes what is our Sunday school. This is a vision that we had a number of years ago for our Bible studies on Sunday morning. They're supposed to be life groups, and we don't talk about that very much at all. Loving relationships, intentional caring, faith formation, empowered for ministry, that we can be life-giving in our life groups. How powerful would it look? How special would that be if we live this out? And I, I know our groups are about this, but how, how could we be more intentional about that? Not just something on a website not just a vision statement on the wall. Oh, you know, been there and done that. It's at the bottom of the bulletin, whatever. But that we truly embrace life. And Jesus wants you to have it in abundance. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need would have been technology, he'd have sent a scientist or an information technology manager. If our greatest need had been money, he'd have sent us an accountant. But our greatest need was grace and forgiveness. So he sent us a Savior who is a shepherd and leads his sheep. He became like us so that we could become like him. He knows us by name. He knows our greatest joys and even our deepest needs. He loves us like there was only one of us who loved him. His invitation is still open today to become one of his sheep. The same invitation 2,000 years ago is offered to us today through his grace and unconditional love. He said, come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is 